Well, thanks for being here this morning. We are wrapping up a series called Be the Church, and we're making a distinction from just going to church to actually being in the church, and there's been a big difference that we've been looking at. We're going to wrap that up today, and as we do, I want you to know a little secret of mine. I try to hide the fact when I'm in certain environments that I'm a pastor, because you get great information from people as long as they know you're not a pastor. And so, if I'm at the gym or my neighborhood, I'll say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Or what do you think about God? And I get some, you know, some really uh, interesting answers. But then I also ask, what do you think about church? And man, you get some really honest feedback, as long as they know you're not a pastor, <laughs> about the church that way. And it's awesome. Uh, and good and bad. I'll tell you, the one I, I hate the most, though, is when I hear people say, man, you know, I have faith, but church is just so boring. I was like, boring? Man, if, if, it's, if it's supposed to be anything, the church isn't supposed to be boring. I mean, when you're filing your taxes, boring, okay? When you're getting an insurance quote, boring. Trying to watch a full nine innings on TV of baseball? Sorry, that's boring. I can't do it. But the church ought not be boring. I mean, when Jesus Christ started the church, that's the last thing he had in mind, that it would be something that was boring to us. In fact, as we've been looking in the book of Acts and how to be the church, you look at their story, it was anything but boring. In fact, Jesus envisioned the church then and today to be a movement, to be a dynamic movement of people. God changing their lives and renovating their families and totally reorienting, reorienting their lives to the priorities of God. And as a church, we get to be on the front lines, think about this, of the most important work on the planet. We get to be in the front lines of seeing God take a life that was destined for a place of eternal torment and bring them into everlasting life and light. And bring hope and peace and joy and love to people that don't experience that on a daily basis. They get to experience it because of the work of God through Jesus Christ and his church. And that sounds pretty fun. I believe the church is the God-ordained change agent for this world. I don't believe our hopes in government. I don't believe our hopes in a personality. I don't think our hope is in riches. I believe our hope is in the church of Jesus Christ. That can be this church. We can bring hope and life and peace to this community and beyond. We have that opportunity ahead of us. In order for us to be that church, we have to be the church. You and I individually live out the priority of being the church in our lives. So let's look and see how our church and your experience with church can go from boring to mind-blowing. We're going to look at the, uh, Acts chapter 8, but before that, we're going to be in Acts 1-8. And I want to say this as you're turning there. If you are bored here, if you're bored in your participation at Crossroads Church, I want to sincerely apologize to you, and I'll own that. We, we have misled you somehow. And I want to see every single one of us engaged in such a way that we are anticipating what God is going to do in us, among us, and through us, because we're a part of the fellowship here. So let's turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's see what it has to say. 
Jesus is speaking and he says to his followers, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, you understand Jesus had just resurrected from the dead. What we're going to celebrate next Sunday, he had just done that. And there was a 40-day window where he was talking with his disciples and getting them ready for living out, being the church for the rest of their lives before he ascends back into heaven. And he says, listen, you're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And when he does, you are to be my, what? Witnesses. And he's talking about 120 people. Think about that. There'll be more people that show up here today than were within Jesus' audience that day. And he says, listen, you're, the, the Holy Spirit, there's going to be some significant spiritual thing happen in your life. And when that happens, you can't stay together anymore. You're going to need to go. You're in Jerusalem, but I need you to go to Judea. That was the surrounding region. And Samaria, that's the next region over. They didn't like so much. And in fact, I want you to go throughout the whole Roman Empire and to the ends of the earth. You can't stay together in this little huddle of 120. I need you to go everywhere. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Think about who's saying that. It's a resurrected Jesus. He, they'd seen him die and be buried, and now he's alive again. And he's saying, listen, you just need to tell everybody I'm alive. It's pretty clear, right? Well, you would think that was clear, but guess what? They didn't go. They didn't go. Between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 8, most scholars figure it's about five-year period. Five years where the church that Jesus said, go to all these places, did not go. They stayed. They huddled. And Jesus isn't going to stand for that. In fact, that just leads me to believe that Jesus is more of a Waffle House fan than he is a Huddle House fan. I'm glad somebody laughed at that. I was like, that could really bomb. I got another Waffle House joke coming. Okay. In verse 4, listen, if you want to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he actually tells them, don't leave Jerusalem. You better not go off until you receive the Holy Spirit. Don't dare try to do this on your own. Don't dare leave this place until I endue you with power from above. But when I do... You will be such a force that the world and the ends of the earth won't be able to contain what you guys have. You know what? Acts chapter 2, they didn't have to wait so long. It came. The Holy Spirit came with power, and it radically saved 5,000 people in a day. And the church was born in power. And that same power that did that that day is alive in you and I and followers of Jesus Christ. He's alive in this church, in every gospel-preaching church, in our community and on the planet. And that same God with the same power, with the same message of a resurrected Christ wants to come alive alive in and through us too. So he says, be my witnesses. A disciple is a messenger of the good news. It's always been the case that a disciple is a messenger of the good news. Jesus, in the end of that 40-day period, he said it again. He said, um, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That sounds a lot like that, doesn't it? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. It's a, such a simple command to go. To go. 
to not stay here, but to go. You know who that was said to? It was said to the disciples, but it was said to you and I just as powerfully. Brian and Megan, it's that whole passage says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. Brian and Megan baptized Braden because they're obeying the same commandment to go make disciples and baptize them. If you bring someone to Jesus Christ, then it ought to be you that baptizes them and you ought to get that same wet hug that Rich got. Think about that. What if every one of us, before we leave this planet, we get a wet hug from someone that we baptized? Wouldn't that be like the most awesome thing? We'd be the soggiest suckers you've ever seen. I mean, it'd be awesome. It'd be awesome. God's plan for your life and my life and every person's life in this room is to go make disciples. I can tell you without a fact, that's his plan for your life. And when you and I refuse to do it, let's just ask it on a broader sense. When you and I know God's will for our lives and we refuse to do it, what does God do? Does he go, well, I guess you got me. When you get to heaven, I'll be able to strong arm you. No. You know that song we sing quite often here? It's, you won't relent. I love that song. Because what the message of that song is, wherever you are, God won't leave you there. He will keep coming until his will is fulfilled in your life, until you experience him in his fullness, and until he uses you in his fullness in the other's lives. He will not relent until he has it all, that song says. Every little bit of our heart, every little bit of our obedience, he won't relent until he has it all. And so God will do whatever is necessary for you and I to join him in his mission. Do you believe that? He will do whatever is necessary in our lives. Sometimes I think I'm a big rock in the the garden of God and he has to plow around me at times. And at times I think he does and I miss a big blessing because I just didn't get on board with what God wanted to do. And he does it without me and in spite of me. But there's other times he goes to work on that rock and he chisels it and beats it and breaks it down until I say, no, Moss, God, you get, you win. I will do what you ask me to do. And so that's what he does to this first church. When he said, go make disciples, and he said, you'll be my witnesses in all these places. And for five years, they don't move, guys. This is what happened. Acts chapter eight, verse one. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You know what persecution is, right? It's when people that follow Jesus Christ are physically harmed because of their faith in Christ. Persecution broke out. A very godly man was killed right before this. And the the Jews felt like that was a symbol, a sign from God that they could start persecuting the church. And so they went after anyone that was said they were a Christian and they would do bodily harm to them or lock them in prison. And so the church gets scattered. And where did they go? Judea. Samaria. See, to be the church God wants us to be, it means the church is to gather and to scatter. To gather and to scatter. See, God wants his church like we like our hash browns. You get gathered, scattered, and covered. I don't know, something like that. 
Now, we do a pretty good job of gathering. So when we gather, God does a work in us, and he draws us to him, and we experience God in our own personal lives. That's a good thing. We, what we're doing here today is necessary and good. And when we gather, God goes to work on us. But when we scatter, God wants to use us, and he wants to go to work on people that aren't here today. So we're to be the church that gathers and scatters if we're going to be what God intended us to be. You ever watch the game where you're, by the way, I'm thinking of football and you talked about huddles, so I was thinking about a football huddle. I miss football. It's kind of an emotional thing for me. I even miss the huddles. They'd huddle and they say, here's the play. And have you ever seen a game where they call the play in the huddle and they go to the line and they just wait and the, the, the clock runs out and they take a penalty, so they go back and they do what? They huddle again. I don't know why. You didn't run the play you just had, but they huddle. Have you ever seen that time after time they'll go to the line and get delay a game after delay a game after delay a game? I've never seen that. But guess what most churches do? They gather in a huddle and they call a beautiful play. And then they go out there and they never run the play. And so they come back next week and they call another play. And it's a beautiful play. And they never get to the line and run the play that Jesus said to run. Go be my witnesses to all nations. That is the play that we are to run. That's the play you and I are to run. In our daily lives, that's the play we are to run. You know what? This church, I'm proud of this church. In the last month, we've hosted three egg hunts and a bow shoot. Why? Because we're going to run some place. We're going to meet some people that don't normally come here. We're going to meet some people that don't, aren't sure about God and who Jesus is and what a relationship with him looks like. Because we want to be the church that runs some place. We don't want to stay huddled. We want to get out there and scatter with purpose. And we t- we've taken food to people. We, we partnered with ISERV Ministries. We delivered gifts in Christmas time. We did a reverse yard sale. Man, all these things we've done recently because we believe that there's people out there worth going to. We can't wait for them to come here. We've got to scatter and go there. You with me? That's the church Jesus envisioned us to be. And think about this. When we gather and then we scatter And we scatter with purpose. We scatter with the intention of making disciples of all nations and making disciples in our neighborhood and at our workplace and at our schools and at the gym and at the ball fields and everywhere we're going anyway. And when we scatter with that kind of purpose, we will start hearing more and more stories of, hey man, did you hear that Monica shared the gospel with somebody? Or last week she gave a hamburger to somebody that needed it. Praise God. And we're going to hear stories of lives radically changed by people that didn't know God and they've, they've gotten off addictions and they've, their marriages have been put back together and they have hope found in Jesus Christ. We'll start hearing those stories. These waters of baptism, and we'll have to keep filling this thing up every week, Story. <laughs> I knew that would get him. <laughs> We'll keep sending people out. There'll be missionaries that come from this church. There'll be people called to do other things out of this church as we scatter. We'll plant other churches out of this church because we are committed to scattering to all nations. Our Jerusalem, our Judea, 
is Jefferson and Jackson County. Do you see that? Our Jefferson and our Judea is right here and right around here. It's where you and I live. It's where you and I work. It's where you and I play. That is our Jerusalem and Judea, and God has put it on us to be his witnesses right here. And he also said, I want you to be my witnesses far and wide. And so we go to places like Moore, Oklahoma. We've gone to places like Fortaleza, Brazil. On the beach, somebody's got to rough it. I mean, it was terrible. We're going to Nicaragua regularly, partnered with Highland Missions. Man, we're going to Jamaica this fall. Why? Because we believe what Jesus said is worth doing to go to all nations. The church is to gather and to scatter, but the church is also, as we scatter, we're to go and tell. Not show and tell. What is it? Go and tell. Go and tell. Listen to what it says in verse 4, chapter 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Man, they just didn't get out of Jerusalem. They got out of Jerusalem with something on their mouth. They got out of Jerusalem on purpose and intention. Think about this. People were dropping like flies because they claimed to be Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. And so they get on the road and guess what they do? They say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And this guy named Jesus came back from the dead. And if you put your faith in him, he's the hope and the light of the world that you can have life too. And in the face of persecution, they proclaimed the good news about Jesus Christ. It says they preached the word. I know what some of y'all are thinking. Well, I'm no preacher. That was a close one. Rod was kind of getting close to home there for a minute. But I'm not a preacher. I'm not called to preach. That's not me. Let me, let me break this down for a second. First of all, the two words used there when it says they preached the word, it's the word we get evangelism from. Instead, when it says preach, it's really they evangelized the word. It's not what I'm doing up here. It's what you and I would do when we're talking to someone face to face. It's not someone that has a prepared message to mostly believers. It's someone that has taken the life-giving message of Jesus to someone that desperately needs to hear it. That's what that word means. It's evangelism. It is telling others about Jesus Christ. And the word for word there is logos, which is actually used in John 1. We've got that verse here when it says in John 1, it says, um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. and The word was God. That word, see, it's capitalized there. It's the same word. And it's speaking of somebody that we know in verse 16. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's speaking of who? Speaking of Jesus. So you go back to our verse 8 there in chapter, verse 4 in chapter 8. They were evangelizing the word. They were talking about Jesus. What is being a witness? All it is, is talking about Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. He's on your mind and he's on your lips. And you can't wait for other people to hear the awesome thing that you have. Now go back to verse 1, chapter 8, because here's the, here's the most convincing argument to me. Did you notice who got scattered and who didn't? Look. Oh, uh, it's not that one. Uh, it's the other part of verse 1, and it says this. Those who had scattered preached the word. I'm sorry, verse 1. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles 
were scattered. It wasn't the apostles, it wasn't the disciples, it wasn't the leaders, it was everybody else. It was the rank and file believers that were scattered. And they went and proclaimed to Jesus. They talked about Jesus wherever they went. When they're walking on the dusty roads and there's people walking with them, they said, have you heard what happened in Jerusalem, that Jesus is alive? And when they checked into the inn, they said, you'll never believe what happened. And when they went to the market, they said, the Messiah has come. And everywhere they went, they talked about Jesus. That's what it means to be my witnesses. You don't have to have the gift of gab, just the grit to gab. You don't have to have eloquence, you just need obedience. That's what you and I need in order to be faithful witnesses. And here's what I believe I believe most people in this room today want to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I believe most people in this room desire to do that, and yet there's a fear associated with doing that. Am I right? God can remove that fear. And here's how it'll happen. When you and I care more about pleasing God than we care about pleasing men and women, we will be a faithful witness. When you and I care more about pleasing our Father than pleasing others, we will tell people about Jesus. You know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, 9.16? He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It's the same words. Woe to me if I don't tell people about Jesus. Paul's saying, listen, I have got to tell somebody. This thing's welling up inside of me, and if I don't get it out, I'm going to burst. You probably had juicy gossip. You were like that. I can't wait to tell somebody what I found out. Man, Paul's saying this. Man, I have got to tell somebody how good God is. I have got to tell somebody how complete his forgiveness is. I have got to tell somebody how satisfying and fulfilling the love of God is in my life. I can't help myself. I've got to let people know of this intimate relationship and friendship that can be had with the creator of God. I have got to tell somebody. That Holy Spirit power, it was in him, is in you. That same testimony of the love and the kindness and the forgiveness of God, if you know Jesus Christ, that's you too, isn't it? Can I tell you, it's eating in my bones, and I'm just wondering whose bones it's eating in too. Last year on this, well, it was a different stage. We tore it down and built this one. But the last stage, (laughs) last year, I said, God, I want to be a faithful witness for you, and I want to share the good news with people 52 times last year, 2017. And it has nothing to to do with me up here. Not because I'm a pastor, not because I'm a preacher, but because I am a follower of Jesus Christ, because of all that he's done for me, because of the, the life change that he's brought in my life. I want to tell other people about him. Psalm 40, verse 2 has been just just been awesome to me lately. It says this, He pulled me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet upon a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. You know what? That's my story. I was in a dark place. 
I needed forgiveness, and my, I was hopeless apart from the good news of Jesus Christ, and I had no way to remedy it. And in that darkness and despair, God reached down, and he pulled me out of that through his son, Jesus, and he put me on the rock who is Jesus, and he has given me a firm place to stand. I want you to look at that verse, uh, verse 1 again, chapter 8. What was it that got them scattered? I want you to think about this. Uh, I'm sorry, 8-1, not 1-8. Oh, yeah, we still don't have that one right. <laughs> it says a great persecution broke out against the church. What got them scattered was persecution. Can I tell you what one of my fears is and one of my prayers is right now? That God would not have to send persecution in my children's generation to get the church moving because we were disobedient to do it in this generation. I don't want that for them. You don't want that for them. You don't want your kids and grandkids to be persecuted because we were unfaithful to share the good news of Jesus in this generation. But if you were God and the life-giving message of Jesus was bottled up inside a church after church after church after church and it wasn't getting out and wasn't going and telling, wouldn't you do the same thing? Wouldn't you cause a little bit of harm to the people that you'll spend eternity with in order that more people could hear the message and they spend eternity with you? Isn't God good for doing that? He is. Absolutely he is. We're to go and tell. We're to gather and to scatter. We're to be the church God created us to be. And as we do that, here's what I wonder. I wonder how many lives will be different as you and I go and tell. I wonder how many families would be repaired and, and suicides prevented and marriages saved and fears removed and how much more joy people would live with if they knew the God that loved them. Most importantly, I wonder how many people would be saved from the fate of hell if you and I go as faithful witnesses to those that need to hear the message because at the end of the day that is absolutely what matters the most what God wants the most is he wants every person in every nation in every generation to be able to respond to the message of forgiveness and hope that is found in Jesus Christ so you know what he did he sent his only son to pay a price that none of us could pay he sent his son to be tortured on a cross that we might have life. He, he put all the sin of the world on his son so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that is a beautiful message that God is not counting our sins against us if we put our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And so he sent his son. But listen, he also started his church as the vehicle to get that message to every person and in every nation and every generation. See, if he'd have sent his son and not started the church, that message would have died out long before you and I got a chance to hear it. And we would be in darkness and in that slimy pit. But praise God, he started his church that we and they, those that came before us, could carry that message to everyone that needs to hear it. And I know that sounds scary, like I'm going to be a messenger and I'm going to get out there and I'm going to tell and I'm going to put myself out there. I know that's scary. 
So I'm going to make a deal with you. We'll train you, and we'll go with you. How's that sound? We'll train you. We have a gospel training that we can train you on how to share your faith comfortably with others. And we'll go with you. Our small groups are mobilizing so that if you've never done that, you don't have to be like the mouthpiece the first time you go out. You can be the helper and you can listen and hear other people sharing the good news. And you can go like, wow, I want to do that. And wow, I'm learning how to do that. And we'll go with you in our small groups environments together. Can I tell you, I was a believer for about three years and I had never talked about Jesus with anybody. And a man named David Chapman had set up an appointment with somebody and said, I want you to come with me. I'm going to talk to him about Jesus. And I said, oh boy. And he said, you don't have to say anything. I said, good. <laughs> and he said, all I need you to do is introduce yourself and pray. I said, yes, sir. And I listened to this man share the good news with one of my fellow students and I was hooked. I said, he's really doing it. He's really telling them. He's, he's really got his attention. He's got, I could see God going to work on this student's life. And I thought, man, if I'm going to do anything with the rest of my life, I want to do that. I want to be able to tell other people the life-changing message that's found in Jesus Christ. So I got some challenges for you this morning. We are a week out from Easter Sunday. And more than any other time of the year, this is the time people are thinking about life. They're thinking about death. They're thinking about God. They're thinking about going to church. And it's a golden opportunity to invite someone to come with you. I want to challenge you, if you'll take the challenge, to invite someone and bring someone with you to our Good Friday service or Easter Sunday next week. I want to challenge you, maybe the same person, but I want you to pray for someone for seven days that God would get a hold of their heart and change their life. And if they don't know Christ, come into a relationship with Jesus Christ on Easter. And I want to challenge you. If you're not a part of one of these missional small groups that's going together to reach people, man, find out how you can get involved in one. It'll change your life. Lastly, I just want to challenge you. If you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't know him as, as forgiver and leader of your life like these who were baptized did, today can be the day that you surrender your life to him and you put Jesus in his proper place as ruler and authority over your life, the one who loves you and is willing to forgive you if you give your life to him. Will you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, we thank you for this amazing opportunity, this amazing offer that is available to us through your son, Jesus Christ. The good news, the message that we get to share is the grave could not hold your son. There is life after the grave. There is life in this life. There is hope and forgiveness and joy. And we don't have to live in shame and we don't have to live in condemnation and we don't have to live like trying to earn it with you but you offer a relationship with yourself through your son Jesus if that's your need today don't wait for Easter today call on the name of Jesus Christ the name under which only we can be found forgiveness is his and say Jesus I need you.
I want a relationship with my heavenly father. I believe you died for me. You paid for my sins. You rose to life. And I invite you into mine. If that was your prayer this morning and the desire of your heart, would you raise your hand and let us know that you entered into faith with Christ today? We'd love to, we'd love to celebrate with you. Anybody here? So, Father, here we are. We're your church. We're your children. We're your kids. And you've given us a play to run. And Lord, I pray that all around this room, there would be not only a desire, but, but action to be a part of your mission, to bring someone with them, to share the good news. God, to be praying for people that are far from God. God, help us to be the church you created us to be. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.